So we're going to be in until God tells me to get out. Class is in session. I want to talk from this subject. Won't he do it? <laughs> won't, won't he do it? <laughs> Before... <laughs> So I see we got some 9 o'clock and some 11.30 people at the same. I'm Normally I know what to expect. <laughs> so before we leap into this lesson, I want to pause for the cause of welcoming you to the first class in Faith University. My name's Dr. Darius Daniels, and I have the personal privilege of being the teaching assistant for this class. I'm not the professor. I just work for him. Your professor has eternal tenure. Your professor has unquestionable omniscience. There isn't a subject that he isn't an authority on. And there isn't a question for which he doesn't have an answer. He's known by many names, advocate, comforter, helper, director, distributor, empower, anointer, anointing, lawyer in the courtroom, doctor in the sixth room, bridge over troubled water, wheel in the middle of the wheel, lily of the valley, bright and morning star Mary's baby wonderful counselor his name is Jesus and today the teacher has asked me to begin the class with a question and the question is simply this. It's a question for your reflection. What does God ultimately want from his people? I want you to pause for the cause of pondering that. What does God ultimately want for his people? If we were to Listen to this. Boil down God's deepest desire to one single common denominator. The question would be, what does God ultimately want from his people? Some would attempt to answer the interrogative by saying God wants love. Others would say obedience. Others would say devotion. And I don't believe these answers are incorrect. I do believe these answers are incomplete. In other words, watch this. They are fruit answers, but not root answers. See, love, obedience, loyalty, and devotion aren't just what God wants. Watch this. But they are what we are able to give God after we give God what he really wants. 
Don't miss this, please. No matter how much we want to give God love, obedience, loyalty, and devotion, we won't be able to give him what we want to give him until we give him what he wants to be given. And so the question remains, what does God ultimately want? Well, the textbook for this class, which is the Bible, offers the answer to this question. Above all else, God wants to be believed. He can't be obeyed until he's believed. We will not have devotion to him until we believe. We will not have loyalty in our relationship with him until we believe. Faith is the root upon which all other fruit forms in our lives. And I think the enemy understands this, so he wants us to emphasize something that's actually inferior. He wants us to focus on fixing the fruit when we can really fix the fruit by addressing the root. What if I told you worry is fruit? And you don't fix the fruit by addressing the fruit. You fix the fruit by addressing the root. What if I told you you don't fix worry by fighting worry, you fix worry by fixing your faith? Did you hear what I said? What if I told you you don't fix stress by fixing stress? What if I told you you fix stress by fixing your faith? What if, I, what if I told you you don't fix doubt by trying to fix doubt? What if I told you you fix doubt by fixing your faith? Because faith is the root upon which all of the fruit flows and is formed. Listen to me. I want you to catch this. Prayer doesn't work without faith. Salvation is not experienced without faith. Uh, obedience cannot be acted upon without faith. God cannot be pleased without faith. Hebrews 11.6 says this, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He says, you can't please me without faith. Don't miss this. He's not to believe me is to insult me. It is to assassinate the credibility of my character. It is to say, when you don't believe me, you saying, I don't believe. You are who you say you are. Oh, I don't believe you can do what you say you can do. We call the devil a liar, but treat God like one. He say, you stuck and you think you got to stay stuck? You treat me like a liar. You're broken and you think you got to stay broken? You're treating me like a liar. You're boxed in and closed in and you feel like you have to stay restricted? You're treating me like a liar. I said I'll open doors no man can shut. I said I'll close doors no man can open. I said if I be for you. Y'all you, miss it. He, he, I said if I be for you, you looking at who left. I'm trying to show you I stayed. I, I, I know we can't touch our neighbor, so don't touch your neighbor. 
Uh, but just say this so that they can hear you. Did God leave? Did God leave? Yeah, did God. Yeah, I, I know who left, but did God leave? I know they left, but did God leave? And as long as God is with you, he's more than the world. He that comes to God, look at me please, must believe that he is. Did you mess with me, Kim? He that comes to God must believe that he is. Look at me. So I can fix some of my fruit problems. You following me? By fixing my root problem. My root problem is faith. Got me? So the question becomes, how do I fix my faith? He that comes to God must believe that he is. That he is. So I don't necessarily fix my faith by fixing my faith. I don't necessarily fix my faith by focusing on my faith. I fix my faith by focusing on who he is. Because faith doesn't work unless I know who he is. Are y'all following me here? So faith problem is a God problem. What do you mean? Here it is, y'all. <laughs> he that comes to God must believe that he is. So this is what the theologian Martin Luther says. He says that the strength of your faith is based on the credibility of the character of the person you put it in. Did you hear what I just said? The strength of your faith is based on the credibility of the character of the person you put it in. So there can be two people that can both tell you the same thing. You believe one and you don't believe the other. They both gave you the same word but the word only had power to produce faith because you believed in the credibility of one's are you here like some people say I'm gonna be there at 3 o'clock and you like I'm not gonna start getting ready till 4.30 right <laughs> right and then someone else can say I'm gonna be there at 3 o'clock and you like I gotta be ready by 2.45 because at 3 o'clock they're outside blowing the horn right same word but the believability of the word is tied to the credibility of the one that's speaking it. When the one that speaks it has character. When the one that speaks it has credibility. When the one that speaks it has the competence to carry it out. Then even before you get what they say they're going to give you, you act like you got it. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. I don't have it yet. It's the evidence of things not seen. 
I don't see it, but my faith is the evidence. Why? I got a word. Can I try to break this down a little more? So we just gave a, a, a gift to this church planter, right? Y'all know you can't take that big check to the bank. Y'all not talking to me. I said, you can't take that big check to the bank. Talk back to me in the chat. You can't take that big check to the bank. So technically, they don't have the money yet. But they were, they were weeping on the platform. And they don't have one cent yet. They were thanking God on the platform. And they don't have one cent yet. They were praising God for a promise they hadn't even possessed yet because the word came from somebody they believed had credibility so they didn't have to wait until they got it to thank God for it because they believe it's on the way. I came to tell somebody watching online I came to tell somebody in you in New Jersey that you don't have to wait until you get it to praise God for it because his word is good. It's on the way. It's on the way. Why are you praising when you should be crying? I got a word. Why, how are you keeping yourself together when you should be falling apart? I got a word. And this is why God regularly, you can be seated, and consistently tells his people, I'm not a liar. I can't lie. I'm not a liar. I'm not a liar. He says, because you got to believe that I am. Are y'all ready for this? He says, I want you to believe that I am because the God you see is the God you get. If you think, let me use broken English, okay? This is broken English, it's intentional, all right? So all my grammar people, okay, relax. Here it is. If you say he ain't, he ain't to you. Let me say that again. If you say he ain't, it doesn't mean he ain't, it just means he ain't to you. But just because he ain't to you don't mean he ain't to me. Did you hear what I just said? The God you see is the God you get. And if he ain't to you, that doesn't mean he ain't to me. And if he ain't to me, that doesn't mean he ain't. He is. Before Abraham was, I am. He says, I am that I am. I am. I just need you to know I am. So my question is, is your faith in a God you created? Is your faith in a God that was given to you? Or is your faith in the God of the Bible? 
Did you hear what I just said? Is, is our view of God a view of God that is shaped by, formed by the pages of Scripture? Or is our view of God a view of God that was given to us, handed to us, or one that we created or concocted on our own? Do y'all hear what I'm saying? Because the God you see is the God you get. Now, when I tell you this revelation brought me so much clarity, even a degree of comfort, because in my mind, I would look at Scripture and I would see all the stuff God would say. And I would say to myself, I don't see all this stuff you're saying. I see some of it. I don't see all of it. Why is that? And the revelation is, to some people, I ain't that God. You're not seeing some of the stuff you see in Scripture because to some people, I'm not the God that's revealed himself in Scripture. So the one they see is the one they get. And maybe you're, maybe, maybe you're trying to wrap your head around this revelation. And, and I think our text in Mark chapter 6 provides us some insight in this area. We, our foundational text begin in Mark chapter 6, but we got to be aware of the context, which is actually Mark chapter 5, because Mark chapter 6 is a continuation of a series of miracles that we, that we see beginning in Mark chapter 5. This is interesting. In the first part of Mark chapter 5, Jesus is encountering an individual encounters an individual who is engaging in self-sabotaging behavior. Watch this. He's, he's living in tombs, a cemetery, and he's cutting himself. So he's engaging in self-sabotaging behavior, and he's not surrounded by anybody that's full of life that can help him stop killing himself. Okay, y'all missed it. Chris, it wasn't that he was alone. He was just around dead people. So dead people didn't stop him from killing himself. And some people we call friends were dead people. I'm not saying they didn't have natural life. I'm saying they didn't have spiritual life. And they didn't have the wherewithal to aid and assist you so that you stop engaging in behavior that was hurting you. Come on. Many, many, we haven't cut ourselves physically. And I know that's a real thing. But some metaphorically have engaged in self-inflicted pain that's caused something blood that we need to keep to leak. So when I cut myself metaphorically, I don't lose blood, I lose joy. Are you here? Come on, put some fire in that chat if I'm teaching. Um, it, it, when, when, I cut, when I cut myself metaphorically, I don't lose blood, I lose peace. Watch this. When I cut myself metaphorically, I don't lose blood, I lose self-esteem. Some people are bleeding. Self-esteem because they're engaging in self-sabotaging behavior they, because they are around people they like 
that don't have life. If you love me, you won't watch me kill me. Y'all aren't talking to me. Watch this. Y'all know I do all of these teachings on friendship. And I want some of you to get a revelation of the assignment on your life to be a biblical friend to people. Because some people at some point want you to be a friend. And then at another point, they want you to be an enabler. I can't be both. If I'm really your friend, I need to be able to tell you the truth. And then we go to Starbucks after. Let me go to this side over here. I, I said, yeah, do you want assistance or enablement? I want somebody in the room to just pause, pause right now and thank God if he gave you some real people that give you real truth. <laughs> Woo! So you hurt my feelings, but you saved my future. Are you here, family? So Jesus frees this man from this self-sabotaging behavior. So he's leaving the tomb, right? And as he's leaving the tomb, a man named Jairus comes to him and says, Hey, I, got a, I have a 12-year-old daughter that's sick, and she needs your assistance. Will you come to the house so that you can engage in some miraculous activity that can remedy this ailment? And Jesus says, okay. So he's walking to the house, and the crowd starts following him. There's a woman who so happens to be, I'm not going to bother this, who happens to be on the route. Remember now, I just gave you context. Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house. So he's going to heal somebody else's daughter who's 12 years old. There's a woman who just happened to be on the route. See, some of you don't, don't, don't miss this. Some of you, please don't miss this. She happened, I mean, God put her in position before she knew why she was there. <laughs> you got it, Dr. Keisha. I said, God put her in position before she knew why she was there. Because some of you are wondering, why am I where I am? And God's like, you'll see in a little while. Maybe I didn't put you there for what's there. Maybe I put you there for what's coming. She just happened to be in position when Jesus passed by. Y'all not here. Do y'all know why I'm preaching to you today? On this platform, it's because when I had to make a decision to go to law school or seminary and I made the decision to go to seminary and I didn't understand why God was putting me in position he knew and y'all know if I had been a year later one year later I wouldn't have been in position to have an internship that turned into more than an internship and then that y'all not talking to me And I'm trying to tell somebody who is watching this, who is watching this online, who's in this room, God's putting you in position. And it might not make sense right now, but he's putting you in position. And it may be uncomfortable right now, but he's putting you in position. 
All right, y'all all right? I gotta go fast, a minute left, here it is. <laughs> Text says, he walking, and the woman said to herself, if I could touch the hem of his gun. See, I feel this. Jesus didn't say to her, touch the hem of my garment. She said to herself, come on, chat, if I could touch the hem of his garment. Y'all missing this already. Come on. She didn't even say, I need to touch him. That's not what she said. She said, I just need to touch what's touching him. And if I touch what's touching him, that's all I need. So Jesus is walking, trying to heal somebody else. And the Bible says, all of a sudden, he stopped and said, who touched me? And the disciples say, Jesus, everybody touching you. All this crowd is walking with you. You, you got influence. You've got fame. And people want to touch you. Everybody's touching you. He said, no, 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 no. I felt virtue go out of me. In other words, he says this, I know everybody's touching me, but all touches don't feel the same. I know everybody's doing the same thing, but it doesn't all get the same result because when faith touched me, it do something. Faith feels different. Watch this, this woman got a miracle on accident. Jesus wasn't even trying to heal her, but when faith touches power, faith touching power, produces the promise. Y'all missing this? Okay, let me wrap up. So then Jesus gets to, <laughs> Jesus gets to Jairus's, uh, uh, Jairus' daughter's house. He takes her by the hand and she gets healed. Got me? Then he goes, Mark 6, to his hometown. All right, so the man in the tomb gets healed. Y'all follow me in the chat? Okay, say yes. Type yes if you follow me. Say yes in the room. Okay, so, so, so the man in the tomb gets healed. Y'all see that? Jesus didn't touch him, he just spoke. The woman with the issue of blood gets healed. She didn't touch Jesus, she touched what was touching him. The little girl who uh, is the daughter of Jairus, 12 years old, she gets healed. Jesus touches her hand. Same God, same power three different delivery systems for the miracle. Then he goes to his hometown and he starts teaching in the synagogue. And this is what happens. People start getting familiar. Isn't this the carpenter's son? I grew up with him. I grew up in church. I know God. I've gone to Bible college. And the text says, we read it, he could not do any miracles there except for laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Do you see that? So a few got what was available for many. Yeah, okay, Come, are y'all here? It says he couldn't do any mighty work. He said, I want to do some mighty work. He said, but I could only heal a few. So many could have got what a few received. 
Why? And it says he was amazed at their lack of faith. So a few got what was available for many. Are y'all here? So the man at the tomb get healed. Jesus speaks that healing. Got me? Because he performs an exorcism. The man, uh, excuse me, the uh, lady with the issue of blood gets healed because she touches what's touching him. The 12-year-old girl gets healed because Jesus touches her. Now in Mark 6, many people don't get healed. Same God, what's the difference? Did you hear what I just said? Same God, what's the difference in all these scenarios? The way they saw God. So the ones in Mark 6 says, okay, he can't, so he didn't. The woman with the issue of blood said, he ain't even got to touch me. I just got to touch him. And he did it. Jarius said, I need you to come to my house. So he came to the house and he did it. The man was in the tomb. Watch this. He got a miracle without permission. He wasn't even in his right mind. He didn't even know he needed deliverance. And Jesus said, I'm going to deliver you anyway. And he did it. Now look at somebody and say, won't he do it? He'll do it the way your faith. <laughs> the way your faith believes is necessary for you to receive. So if you believe it's going to take 12 years, it might. But if you believe he can turn it around swiftly, quickly, expeditiously. He delivered the miracle in a way that was consistent with what their faith required. See, I, I could take you to a Roman centurion who goes to Jesus and says, hey, I got a servant that's sick. Jesus said, let's go to, a, let's go to your house. He said, nope. You ain't got to. He said, I'm a man in authority. I understand the way words work. Because I'm over 100 Roman soldiers. When I speak, they move. And I know just like I'm in authority over those soldiers, you're in authority over my servant's body. You ain't even got to come to the house. Just speak the word. Won't he do it? Did you hear what I just said? So what we're going to deal with, I'm done. What we're going to deal with in this series is addressing, will your God do it? Now the God of the Bible will. We just have to address, is that your God? Or is, are you limiting him to the carpenter's son? Is this not the carpenter's son? Are you limiting to the, him to the one that could just save your life? And not the one that can change it? Are you limiting him to the one that can only bless your life when you've made all the right decisions? Are you limiting, are you limiting the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the God of the young? 
you got it. Are you limiting him to the God of the young? My time's up. Do you, come on. Do, 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 you, do you believe that, <laughs> that he is? As I was praying through this, I was like, Lord, help me not just teach about faith. I can do that. Help me to build your people's faith. It begins with making sure your God is. We started this church in the Northeast because we believed our God is. I can't tell y'all. We started growing. I'll never forget. I'm never going to tell you his name. But one preacher told me, he sat in my office, one preacher in the city of Trenton looked at me and told me, every new broom sweep clean. We were growing. I'm in my early 20s. And instead of encouraging me, he said, well, every new broom sweep clean. He said, don't get too excited. They're going to come and they're going to go on to somebody else. Whenever a new thing come in town, this is what happens. That's because his God was limited by the city. And that's what you get. His God was limited to what he'd only seen done in the past. But my God, the God of the Bible, is a God that does what eyes haven't seen and ears haven't heard. And I believe he's going to do that in your life. I'm telling you, I am, listen to me, I am prophesying. I am prophesying that as your faith gets built, this is the word I got. You're about to step into a compound season. Compound season. It's like where it just compounds. Where God says, I'm going to show you how much I can do quickly. I'm telling you what I know. Look at me. He's going to make it worth it. People say, 16 years went so fast. Not to me. I felt every year. The war memorial feels like 16 years ago. But God will make it worth it. He's going to make it worth it for you. I got to go. But God's getting ready to build your faith. You're getting ready to believe like you hadn't believed before. I'm prophesying this. You're getting ready to sleep like you hadn't slept in a long time. Rest is coming to your life. Rest is coming to your mind. Peace is coming to your house. In Jesus' name, some of you are believing God for children. And God's going to give you a Lazarus miracle. When Lazarus could not believe for himself, Jesus honored the faith of Mary and Martha. Intercessory faith. Lord, I got to go. Well, lift your hands in this place. If you're watching me online, put hands in the chat right now. I'm getting ready to pray for the release. I'm going to teach you on this later of the spiritual gift of faith for some of you. Romans 1.11, I long to see you that I might impart some spiritual gift to you. I'm praying for that right now. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is a distributor that distributes gifts to your people. And many of them are now in seasons where they need the distribution of the spiritual gift of faith. Lord, I pray for this gift over Victor. In Jesus' name, as he plants his church, I pray right now that even amongst his team, you would distribute uncommon faith to believe you 
for what you preordain and destined. I pray over this house, those that are watching online, that that gift now will be distributed into them. A supernatural, unconscious ability to believe you in an extraordinary way. And I thank you that as we receive what you're giving, it'll be said of us as it was said of the early church. These are they that have turned the world upside down. In Jesus' name, amen. Clap your hands, everybody.